Welcome, everyone, to yet another Baseball America podcast. For the fourth time this week, I'm John Manuel. I'm joined today by Connor Glassy, and over the phone, live from Winnetka, up in the Chicagoland area, the one and only Jim Callis. So thanks, guys, for joining me on the podcast today. We want to remind you that we're sponsored by MLB Network here on the Baseball America podcast. We also want to remind you that you can try four issues of Baseball America for just four bucks on our MLB Network offer. Just go to BaseballAmerica.com slash MLB Network for our 4 for 4 deal. And it's a must-read, of course, for baseball fans from high school to the draft to the major leagues, Baseball America magazine. So thank you very much for joining us, everybody. And let's just kick it right off, Jim and Connor. The 2010 draft come and gone, kind of finally. <laughs> Glad <laughs> Good riddance. It's not necessarily good riddance to bad rubbish, but it was a very undefined draft class, a very hard draft class to get our hands around. Jim, we'll start with you. It seemed like the clubs had a hard time getting around it, too, because there were several non-consensus first-round picks. Really, after the top three picks, Jim, did anything kind of go according to form? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what happened with the draft is, like you said, there just wasn't a lot of consensus after the first three picks. And what stood out for me well, wasn't so much that there were the non-consensus picks, because you'll have those from time to time. But the fact that, that outside of a couple exceptions, teams pretty much took who they want and didn't worry about you know slot money or cutting a deal. I, I think the one exception, uh, you know, in the upper half of the draft was the Diamondbacks at number six taking Barrett Lauchs over Matt Harvey and uh, you know who they liked more. But other than that, teams pretty much took the guy they thought fit there. You know, even at four, you know, Christian Colon was not a name we heard a lot with the Royals. But, you know, I know I've gotten a bunch of emails from fans, oh, did they reach, you know, what is this, this is terrible. Well, no, I mean, Christian Colon, you could very much argue he was the fourth best player in the draft. Um, you know, maybe they kicked the tires on Chris Sale and Yasmani Grandal and just didn't like what they heard, but it wasn't like they reached for, for Christian Colon. He was a solid ticket for it. Yeah, if you, think, if you think Christian Colon can play shortstop in the major leagues, then he's, in my mind, an easy pick at four in this draft, Connor. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I really like Christian Colon. Uh, one day we'll have a podcast with Dave Perkin where he can tell us all the ways that he doesn't like Christian Cologne. Baseball America is the bird dog out in California. But what else, what stood out about the first round to you, Connor, besides some of the things that Jim already talked about? Well, I think, you know, Zach Cox going, getting all the way to 25 to the Cardinals. I mean, he was a guy that we thought was a, a pretty surefire top 10 pick. And, you know, maybe signability had something to do with him falling. But, you know, that's a, that's a steal for them there. Yeah, I mean, they, were the, throwing out, they were throwing out, like, I guess, Pedro Alvarez money. Uh, so I think that's why he fell. You know, what sure. I think teams ought to do more is they just need to call these guys. Now, I don't know if it's a bluff, if that's the right word, but they ought to just stand up to the players, too. If you like Zach Cox, like, for instance, the Mets like Zach Cox, and, you know, he's a draft-eligible sophomore, so you fear that a little bit, you know, why not look at it the other way? That You know, next year's draft is deeper. There's no way. And I like Zach Cox a lot. I'm not worried about him playing third. I'm not worried about his power. But, you know, there's no way he's going to go out and have a better year than he did this year. So he's not going higher next year's draft. Uh, you know, he's probably not going to get offered, say, $3 million in next year's draft. So if you really like Zach Cox, you know, forget about the $6 million, you know, price tag that's whispered out there and offer him what you want. If you offer that guy 2 and a half or $3 million, is he really turning it down and going back to school? It's uh, hard to imagine Zach Cox going back to school. I have to imagine, and I don't know the player, but I have to imagine most guys who think they're going to be first-round picks um, you know, you, you you just mentally get ready to go pro. Mm-hmm. I think mentally, if you're ready to go, it's hard to go back, and it's hard to go back and get that mental edge back. So I think I, I agree completely with you, Jim. I think 
it's maybe it's easier for us to say because we don't have we're not the ones with the money we're not the ones that might waste the pick quote unquote but uh, yeah I think that I think that it's surprising that teams don't do that more and quote unquote call people's bluff I think that the three picks that seem to stand out for a lot of people uh, we can talk about these a little bit were Cox falling that's one of them but then also uh, Hayden Simpson going 16 to the Cubs and Cito Culver uh, going 32 to the Yankees. With a little thrown in, I guess, Zach Lee to the Dodgers at 28 being the other big surprise. Jim, you're reporting on all three of those, I guess, as three of the surprises. Let's talk a little bit about uh, those three. What's your take on Zach Lee? I don't think there's any way the the Dodgers are going to punt this pick. Do you? I mean, they they didn't do this deliberately. I think think there are rewards if you don't sign them. You do get a compensation pick next year. Next year's draft is better. But doesn't it seem like that? What was your impression of this pick and why the Dodgers took that pick? calculated gamble than a punt. I mean, the, the whole threat idea that they're punting the pick to save money, well, does that mean they aren't going to sign the comp pick next year? I mean, is saving the million dollars, you know, whatever that slot is, right around a million this year, and spending it next year, I mean, you know, are, are the, the courts still not going to want to pillage the franchise and overpay their sons next year as opposed to this year? So huh. I, I don't understand that thinking, although I've heard that. You know, a lot of people are thinking he got picked not to sign you know, the, the reported price tag on him is also $6 million, although the, the thing was interesting. All the area scouts I talked out to Texas started saying a couple weeks before the draft that they thought something was going on because all of a sudden he sounded you know, more receptive to playing baseball, and, and they weren't sure what the deal is. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's a, he's a definite first-round arm, uh, you know, committed strongly to playing quarterback at LSU. And, you know, these reports that he's going to summer school already don't really mean anything because that was planned, you know, well before the draft. He was always going to do that to try to get a leg up. The, the tricky thing, I think, is if I draft, if I'm given a pitcher, you know, a couple million dollars or whatever I want to sign Zach Lee for if I sign him, I don't want him playing quarterback and get tackled by 300-pound defensive linemen. <laughs> or uh, you know, falling on his shoulder and messing up his arms. So yeah. I'm not totally convinced they're going to sign him. But what I think it came down to is they saw him really good. They saw him throw... Some 95s and 96s right before the draft. You know, everybody loves the delivery and the athleticism and the you know secondary pitches have a lot of promise. And I think the Dodgers looked at it as you know this guy is the best guy on the board. You know, we'll take him, and if we don't sign him, you would know, get the pick next year, and we'll take some backup plans. And they took they took Kevin Gosman in the sixth round. They took Jock Peterson in the eleventh round. And, you know, if you, let's say you don't sign Zach Lee, then maybe you spend, you know, what you would have spent on him to, to make sure you sign those two guys. That's not that much different than just playing this for the first-round pick straight up. I'm, I'm not convinced they'll sign him, but I definitely don't think they took him not to sign him. I, yeah, I agree completely. And, I mean, you've talked about it. We've talked about it before, Jim. Uh, and, Connor, if you want to weigh in on this, I mean, like Logan White, uh, you know, Jim, especially I know you hold him in very high regard as far as his ability to identify pitching. And to me, they can just point to Zach Lee and say, Clayton Kershaw, Texas high school, pushed aggressively when he showed us he was ready. You push him to the big leagues, he's already our ace. He can be the right-handed Clayton Kershaw. Uh, and for me, Zach Lee, like you said, Jim, I mean, you can very strongly make the case that he was the best guy on the board at that point. So I like the pick. I like the boldness of the pick. And I like the Dodgers' chances to sign him because you can spread that bonus out over five years. So, well, that's another thing, too. You know, you that too. You might be. Let's say you can sign in for three million dollars. Right. I'm just. Let's say you could sign in for three. Well, you theoretically could save money. I mean, you, you pay it in the long run. But if that slots a million, you, you could pay him six hundred thousand a year for five years, or backload it 
Uh, so in some ways, you might pay less now than you would for just a straight-up pick. I think you that gives them a lot of flexibility, too. You could go slot this year and then backload it, and you can even have it be, hey, maybe you can get to $6 million if that's what it's going to take, or $5 million, as long as you never give up baseball for football. You know, And if you give it up, if you pull a Josh Booty, well, you pay it back like Josh Booty had to. There, there are all kinds of permutations. I, I love the fact that a, a club that has to stick to slot because of their financial situation, like the Dodgers, I think they just got creative, in my opinion. I, I think, and I've heard it from scouts and other organizations who think they're punting, and I just, I just don't buy it. So. Well, it makes no sense because you, you have to punt the pick two years in a row to really save any money. You know, not paying right. the bonus this year and just paying it next year, how much does that really save you? I mean, like, you know, maybe... $100,000 in terms of the value from one year to, you know, right. it just doesn't make It's not substantial enough right. to make it worthwhile. Yeah, the whole, re- the whole reason the Reds punted on Jeremy Sowers in 2001 was because they had exhausted that money in the previous year's budget. <laughs> it wasn't because they didn't have the money that year. It was because they had exhausted the budget the previous year. And it's also because they were being run by Jim Bowden. So that's... Yeah, I can't remember the, you know, like the, who, the, I can't remember the name of the Dominican outfielder it was, uh, who got posted by a Japanese. Diaz. Club, it was Alejandro he, Diaz. Exactly. You know, they gave him, you know, a seven-figure deal, and they took it out of the draft budget the next year. Then they took that money, you know, to fill that draft budget. I think the next year is the year they gave David Espinosa and Dave Sardinia no bonuses in major league contracts. Uh, you know, and then, you know, it's just like they, they wound up, you know, screwed up the draft budget for three years in a row before they finally said enough is enough. Correct. Uh, Connor, let's talk about the other two controversial first-round picks. I think you – much more familiar with Cito Culver than you are with Hayden Simpson. Yeah. Cito Culver yeah. at 32 to the Yankees. Talk a little bit about him. I just talked a little bit to a couple of scouts about him today, and it sounds like, and just reading more about him, it sounds like the Yankees were very convicted. He was what, in the 160s in our range. But I have to admit, I think Aaron Fitt does a tremendous job covering the Northeast for us, but I don't think there's a consensus in the Northeast. And I always think with Northeast players that teams are willing to project more on guys in the Northeast and so that's how a guy like a Jesse Biddle and like a guy like a mm-hmm. Cito Culver, I think Aaron had them rated, reflected the consensus well on where we had them ranked in our top 200. I think they both go higher because guys in the Northeast, A, have a lot of late helium as the weather warms up up there, and B, it just seems like uh, there's more split camps on guys up there. What, what was your impression of, of Culver? And I guess you saw him at East Coast Showcase last year. I did. I saw him at the PG National and, and East Coast, but... Um, you know, he, he's a good athlete. He played shortstop. He also pitched. You know, he's got one of the, you know, real projectable body. And, um, you know, we talk about the draft, and, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise because we didn't have him going in the first round. But um, kind of like Jesse Biddle, I mean, they picked a player that they really liked and also picked a home state player. That doesn't hurt. Um, you know, so, so it is surprising in one way. But in another way, it's like it's not that surprising, especially – in a draft where there wasn't a lot of consensus as to who's a first-rounder and, and who's not. The stuff I've seen on Culver says that the thing that really stands out about him is that the game comes easy to him. There's the mm-hmm. athleticism, but he makes the game look easy, which I guess can be taken the wrong way as a lack of intensity. Did you see any of that as far as this, the game coming easy to him and even offensively? What's your no, – I, I, mean, I wouldn't take that in the wrong way. I mean, that's what, that's what scouts really want to look for. You want to look for the guy that makes it look easy and right. isn't acting out there like everything is real hard for him, you know. Um, to, to go the other way, Ryan Brett is a player I wrote up in, in Washington, and one of the you know scouts out there loved how hard he played, how much he hustled. But one of the things that they also talked about is that the, the scout I talked to who thought he had to move to the outfield said, 
nothing looks easy. When he's playing the infield, everything is hard. Everything, you know, it looks, it just looks hard for him in the infield. It's real choppy actions. Um, and so that's why he thought he would be better in center field. So you want that player that, that makes the game look easy and, and has everything coming to them. And, Jim, you were the man, uh, the point man on the draft uh, show when Hayden Simpson went 16th overall. You were the one guy who uh, had the information, the dope on Hayden Simpson. Uh, what's your take on why the Cubs popped him 16th, and will that pick uh, wind up being successful for the Cubs? Well, I think with both him and Culver and to some extent Lee, the teams that took him saw those guys – I guess a lot better. Best way plays a lot better than, than we had him rated. You know, Hayden Simpson from the guys I talked to in Arkansas, you know, saw him at 91, 93 miles an hour. You know, a little tail off late in games. You know, which is unexpected. You know, six foot right hander, so he threw in kind of a flat plane, uh, not a ton of life. You more of a four seam fastball. You know, secondary pitches. You know, good college pitches. You know, nothing outstanding. You know, the Cubs meanwhile. You know, they saw him. It was kind of an interesting story, in fact. And you wonder if he would have gone as high as he did, if not for, uh, I think the way I wrote it in the column for Baseball America is a, is a bad weather forecast. Is In mid-May, Tim Wilkins, the scouting director, was going to go run down three guys in Texas, has national guys, uh, three national guys, uh, you know, in different areas of the country. They were all, you know, had their plans that they wanted to bear down on that weekend. And there was an 80 or 90% forecast of rain in Texas. And Tim... You know, mid-May, you don't want to lose a weekend, and Tim was like, ah, I really don't want to go go to Texas. When, you know, I, but he also didn't want to double up where his national guys were going. And, and his wife, he was talking to his wife about it, she said, you know, why don't you find something to scout here in Florida? Your, your daughter's going to the prom, they're a pre-prom this weekend, you could be part of that. And, you know, you haven't been home in months, uh, you know, for a weekend in months, you know, why don't you do that? So Tim actually went to went home, uh, lives in Dunedin, Florida, and went over to the uh, Division Two Regionals over at Tampa. Yep. And he saw Simpson. He said he saw a 92-97 complete game. Thought the other three pitches were all solid average or better big league pitches. Loved the athleticism. You know, thought his field and command were really good. And then, uh, you know, as is wont to happen in NCAA playoffs, uh, Southern Arkansas went into the losers bracket, came back out, and they were they were playing again on Monday, two days later, and they they started Simpson. In a planned four inning outing, you know, they weren't going to let him go more than four, and he was 92-97 again. And, and Tim, not only did he really love what he was seeing, he couldn't help but notice that uh, Tom Kochman, the highly respected Angels scout, was at the same games he was at. And the Angels had five picks between the Cubs picking in 16 and the Cubs picking in the second round, and and he just he just really feared that they had a chance to to lose him to the Angels with one of those picks. And you know, you look at who the Angels picked. You know, they had a couple off-the-board selections, too. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility. And, and Tim just said you know, he just had a really good feeling about him. There are other guys who saw him, liked him. Their area scout in Arkansas loved the makeup. Jim Crawford loved the makeup. And he just, you know, he's had his pocket pick too many times over the years and a couple times recently that he didn't want to try to finesse it and get him in the second or third round and felt like he had to take him the first to make sure he got it. I think it's a great point on, uh, you know, conviction. That's just what that, that is what that draft pick is all about. They had a strong conviction about Hayden Simpson, and they don't really give a damn what everybody else thinks about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the thing is, Hayden Simpson's been scouted really pretty heavily for a six foot, hundred seventy pound right hander from Southern Arkansas early in the year. I mean, he came into the year with a big reputation. He was scouted very heavily early before the Division One season started. And then, like you said, I mean, uh, I just saw the report in the newspaper about that uh, regional final. And I talked about the solid number of scouts who were there for that second start and who had their radar guns on Hayden Simpson for that four-inning outing against Tampa. And I think it's funny, the game was 2-2 when he came out of the game, and I think the final score was 23-2. Yeah, they came back at one and just lost the second. Yeah. 
Yeah, Tampa. But when Simpson came out of the game, Tampa just went berserk. Which right. Tampa also, for what it's worth, one other reason a lot of scouts were there, Tampa, one of the top uh, ten schools in terms of players getting drafted. Auburn and UCLA with 11. There were about five or six schools with 10. Tampa was in the next group with nine guys drafted. So uh, there are lots of reasons to be there uh, for scouts, and uh, they, they clearly saw Hayden Simpson you know, throw very well. So a guy who maybe we had more as like a four to seven talent. Uh, but it's amazing, too, Jen. I don't know if you've gotten this reaction or you too, Connor. We've talked about the draft. I just got it again today. Um, you know, people, when you ask other scouts and other organizations about the Simpson pick, they said the same thing. Well, we, we were stunned. We didn't expect him to go there. But we all respect Tim Wilkin. I mean, it's universal. And that's even after the Jeff Samarja pick. And that's, say, that's the scary thing is everybody said that when they gave Jeff Samarja $10 million. And I know. Yeah, I know people, you know, they, they know like, you hit the nail on the head. The Cubs don't care what other people think. They took the guy they wanted. I know, you know, there have been some comparisons to a couple of years ago. I think we had Tyler Colvin ranked as the 170th best player right. on our top 200. Uh, we were right on Colvin. Cubs and that's worked out. But the, I think the big difference between the two, they're not totally analogous, is that with Colvin, we, we found out shortly after the fact that, that our, our South Carolina guy was way late on Tyler Colvin. There were four or five teams who were thinking about taking him in the first round of the sandwich round. Correct. But Simpson, there was no inkling that that pick was coming before the Cubs made it. I think that's exactly right. I think we probably were about 100 light spots light on Colvin. I don't think he was a consensus top 30 pick that year. I do think he was a consensus top 100. Whereas with Simpson, I think we reflected the consensus fairly on him. So now we'll see if the consensus was right or the Cubs. And that's one of the best things about the draft. It's a Baseball America podcast. John Connor and Jim talking draft. Let's talk about our favorite drafts, guys. Teams that we think did well. It's awfully early to do that. It's especially early considering that we don't know which of these players are going to sign. So we want to throw those caveats out there. But with those in mind, Connor, who did you like? What draft did you? Uh, what draft stuck out to you? Yeah, well, you know, I covered the Northwest for us, and so my favorite draft was the Rays draft. Right. They're, uh, they're the Paul Kirsch scout. Memorial the Paul Kirsch, yeah, he's probably sore from getting so many pats on the back. But he got the top three hitters out there in Josh Solly, uh, Drew Vettelson, and Ryan Brett. Um, but they also added Justin O'Connor, which is a good pick. And then, and then they got a sleeper, I think, in the fifth round, a guy that I had on my list, but I didn't really write him up because he, he was kind of hidden. He was from Ashland, Oregon, which is way south. It's, it's as close to Sacramento as it is to Portland. And uh, his name is Ian Kendall. He's a right-hand pitcher. And he was 91 to 95 this year with what I heard a plus curveball and a plus changeup. So Man, that sounds like a first. Um, that sounds like a first round talent, not a fifth round talent. Yeah. So he he was really good, and he was just kind of hidden out down there. And because the other the other aspect with him is he is a short right hander. He is. He he's like six six foot six one two hundred pounds. Um, Oregon State commit. Uh, you know, but but he was just kind of out in the boonies, and so there not every team was on him, and, and the few that were were really trying to. To hide him out. I think that also, you know, that I wonder how much of a factor it is when you're in a, a guy like that geographically, where if you're an area scout and you have the Pacific Northwest, but you have Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, that kind of stuff, and maybe some British Columbia, yeah. you're probably based in the Seattle area. Yeah, I think Whereas, a lot of them live in Portland. Okay, yeah. or Portland area. Yeah. Where, but if you're in one of these organizations where you have NorCal and the Pacific Northwest, well, then you might be based even further south. I know there's some some scouts back when I used to do the Pacific Northwest who had that area who lived in the Bay Area mm-hmm. or they lived in Sacramento or they lived, like, in southern Oregon and that kind of stuff. So, 
you know, you would have nobody else lives. <laughs> but you have this. But when your area is that big, yeah, you know, you 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 basically pick a few guys early in the year who are your favorites, and that's who you see. Yeah, and that might be how you get a guy like Ian Kendall, where somebody else might not get. That's a that's a pretty different one. Jim, uh, which draft class did you like? Well, two that jumped out at me. I, I've been focusing on doing some uh, Eastern Division write-ups. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise. You know, Red Sox have drafted. You know, this year you know, they have a new scouting director. You know, drafted. You know, like they have been under you know Jason McLeod now under Emil Sade, where they just take the best players on the board and figure out how many of them they can sign down the road. I, I really like Colburn Vidic toward the bottom of the first round when they got him. Uh, they're going to make him a center fielder, and I think he's a potential five-tool center fielder. And to be honest, you know, with everybody, you know, with kind of the, the the lack of consensus, I was surprised he didn't get play. You know, say compared to a guy like a Michael Choice, you know, different types of players, but I think Vidic's a better better chance to hit and can and can do a few more things. You know, they just go on after him. You know, Bryce Brents, you know, one of the better power hitters in the draft. You know, wasn't supposed to be there in the sandwich round and was. You know, Anthony Renato, a huge, huge gamble right now. You don't know what he's going to cost or, or, you know, if you can straighten him out after the year he's had. But there's a guy who's supposed to be the number two pick in the draft coming into the year. And they just go on and on and on. Second round pick, Brandon Workman, was supposed to go in the middle of the first round. Uh, next two picks, Sean Coyle and Garen Cicchini, are, are two of the best high school bats in the draft. You may take seven-figure offers. Yeah, they got a kid named Kendrick Perkins out of Texas, who's just a, this, this huge, quick twitch athlete. Mm-hmm. Matthew Price from Virginia Tech, you know, who's erratic but has you know tremendous arm, and and on and on and on. You know, can, you, know you, you keep going. Adam Duke in the 16th round, Eric Jack in the 19th round, two you know high school right-handers who are top three-round stuff, and you know that's just kind of their approach. You know, grab a bunch of players, and you know we'll spend a lot of money and, and sign a bunch of guys, and some of them will be Red Sox, and some of them will be trade bid. Yeah, I agree. I think that the Red Sox had a great draft. I also, I know they had extra picks, but I really like Toronto's draft. Um, I like that if you're going to have extra picks, that you got a lot of different kinds of guys. Like, you know, the Pirates got interesting talent. I don't know if they had extra picks, but I'm almost put off the more I think about it by the fact that Pirates basically drafted all right-handed pitchers. You know, nine, just, nine of their first ten picks were right-handed. It's crazy. I just, pitchers, at least. Yeah, they're, no, they're all right-handed as well. Yeah. But whereas Toronto you got a couple college guys, Deck McGuire, Asher Wojcikowski. I think we thought Asher, Asher Woj could go a lot higher than 41st overall. Uh, Aaron Sanchez, uh, big upside for a high school pitcher. Unprotected guy, they go and get Noah Syndergaard, who wasn't a consensus supplemental guy, but he did have late helium. He does sound intriguing. Uh, they got a nice left-hander with Griffin Murphy. Now, I like the hitters they took. I love Christopher Hawkins, one of my favorite guys in Georgia, uh, high school bat who just had a huge spring. Uh, 30-game hit streak, carried his team to the Final Four in Georgia. Uh, maybe a chance to stay in the infield, more likely to be an outfielder. Uh, when you're getting compared to the Jim Edmonds and Colby Rasmus, those are good. Those are good comparisons. Um, and then I like the other guys they took. And you know, the Blue Jays. Uh, if you're gonna you know, last year, they failed trying to sign a couple Canadians, James Paxton, James Eliopoulos. Uh, this year, a better chance I think with Marcus Connect. Who's actually not yeah. just a Canadian? He's actually from a suburb of Toronto. So uh, you know, I, I like their draft. I know they had extra picks. I think they made the most of them, and it's going to be really fascinating to watch this class historically because of the way the Blue Jays restructured their scouting department this year, doubled or tripled the size of it. I mean, they had so many more scouts. It seemed like than any other club. I loved Alex Anthopoulos's uh, quote where he counted scouts in our directory to see who had the most scouts, and they had a few more area scouts than the Red Sox, and he was really happy to see. They had the most scouts. So yeah. I also like the Phillies draft, though. Um, I know I do their prospect uh, list every year, and I think highly of the way they do things. I liked Biddle. I like Percy Garner for an athleticism. 
Um, they took some really upside guys. You know, Cameron Rupp, I don't think there's an agreement that he's going to make it, but he seems like he's improved defensively. Uh, Aaron Fitz, Super Regional Preview, the other coaches in the Big 12 really love the improvement Cameron Rupp has made behind the plate defensively over the last three years. He calls his own game. They have a lot of respect for that. Uh, Frazier, the highest the prep right hand out of uh, out of California, huge upside. Reports of him in '98, mm-hmm. but also reports that his delivery falls apart after one or two innings. The stuff fades away, you know. But there's raw stuff to work with there. And Brian Moore got the same guy. And and then for their for where they got them, Gauntlet Eldemeyer in the sixth round. That's where he should have gone. He's got, as Jim, I think you accurately put it, better tools than skills. Well, that organization's. You know, very experienced with dealing with players like that. And yep. then David Buchanan's a similar kind of guy, better tools and skills, the right hand under Georgia State, but he's got a good pro body and he's got a good arm. So those first seven rounds, I was pretty encouraged by what the Phillies did. So those are a couple drafts that stood out to me. Um, was there a draft uh, or was there a player maybe who fell uh, for either of you guys that was a stunner or is there a later round pick or another draft that you think could be made or broken by maybe one player or something like that kind of to me? Uh, there are a couple. There are a couple teams like you know the Rangers. I don't know if they're going to sign Wilson. Or no, they didn't draft Austin Wilson. It was the Cubs, right? The the Cardinals. Cardinals drafted yeah. Austin Wilson. I like the Cardinals draft, but to me, if by any chance they sign Austin Wilson, that makes their draft a spectacular draft. I was confusing them with Brian Regeira and, uh, and the uh, right. and the Rangers, but I, I don't think they're going to sign Austin Wilson. But boy, if he if he were to sign, that could really make their draft, which is. Pretty interesting at the top. I, I kind of like Jake School. I kind of like Kellen Deglin. I know they weren't consensus guys. Is there, are there other draft classes that stick out Go like that Go back to Austin you? Wilson. Somebody in our comments actually brought up an interesting point. What happened to the Wagner Mateo money? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what happened to that money. Let's actually, we should actually take some of those, Jim. Unless you had a – we'll take some of those questions. Let's fire away and do some questions. Well, we also uh, – who were, well, we already answered uh, Theron Big Sherm Lad's question. He thought the Angels made a killing. How about Tyone and Alley for my hometown, hometown Pirates? I do think any draft that starts with the two, two, two high school pitchers with the best stuff, uh, yeah. and, and uh, Tyone and Alley is a good start. Uh, Angels made a killing. I don't know that we agree necessarily with Theron. I don't know that, again, it's not easy to judge, but they definitely, uh, Connor, stepped out of the box. They definitely stepped out of the box. I mean, the first three picks... You know, those were those were legitimate first round picks with with Coward. Although most teams, I think, viewed him more as a, a pitcher, not a third baseman. But I think if you want to sign, you him, have to take him as a third baseman to yeah. sign him right now. And he's a second round talent as a third baseman. It doesn't mean that he won't be good. Yeah. He could be very good. At no, third he definitely base. could be good. Um, and then you know Clark and Bedrosian, but definitely went out th- outside the box with uh, with Taylor Lindsay. I mean, he was a guy that I didn't even have as the top. Arizona high school player, and that's because scouts out there didn't see him that way for the most part. I mean, I also wrote that there was one team on him in the supplemental first round, and that's that's where he went. But uh, scouts were just really worried about his swing. They called it more of a metal bat swing. They're not sure how much power he's going to hit for with Wood. And he's kind of a thick body guy. He's definitely not going to be able to stay at shortstop. Uh, I think the Angels, and I haven't talked to them about this, they probably think he can move to second base, but a lot of scouts thought he was going to have to move straight to left field. So. And then I'm, I've said this a couple of times, I'm not a huge fan of the profile of the raw, toolsy Mississippi high school kid. The track record for those guys is bad, and Ryan Bolden is that. Ryan Bolden's a guy who hit, I think, under 300 as a high school junior, and he did have a better senior year. He certainly looks the part. Uh, I, I thought that was an overdraft at 40, but that's you know I'm not a scout, so mm-hmm. um, I would say the consensus in the Mississippi area was that that he wasn't the 40 perceived as the 40th best player in this draft. I do like some of the other guys they got. Daniel Tillman's a, 
junior college, I mean, junior college, small college closer who will go and will move quickly. I uh, definitely heard Wendell Soto moving that third to fourth round range if you like him. Um, you know, Max Russell, another Florida Southern guy they got. Uh, what did you think of the Angels draft uh, off the top of your head, Jim? It did blow me away. I mean, the, the way we kind of evaluate them, I think, at this point, whether it's fair or unfair, is whether we think a team drafted players higher or lower than, than we had them rated. And even even guys like Bedrosian and Clark, you know, I, I respect those guys, but I don't think we had them as first-round talents. We had them more as second-round talents. So, you know, they had a bunch of extra picks, but I think in general – you know, and we'll see. I mean, not, you know, I think people know that we don't go out necessarily and scowl. I think we more analyze. But, you know, it just seemed like across the board they were consistently taking players higher than we had them rated. And our ratings are based on, you know, some first-hand observation and a lot of discussions with a lot of clubs. Uh, we also had a question, uh, really more of a statement than a question, but I thought we'd quickly address it. Kason Elliott wants to know, uh, he hopes that the uh, Braves got someone good. Um, I do think it's interesting to look at, uh, you know, the Braves did change scouting directors this year with Roy Clark leaving and going to the Nationals. Um, Tony DeMacio, who had run, what, six drafts, I guess, five drafts at Baltimore, taking over. Uh, Jim, I know you did Texas. What did you think of the Braves draft with starting off with Matt Lipka in the supplemental first round? Yeah, I actually liked their draft a lot. I thought it was, a, you know, a lot of times a team that doesn't have that first round pick, on the, you know, you don't like them as much initially, but... Yeah, they won the early sandwich picks. They got Matt Lipka out of Texas. He's an all-state wide receiver with, with tons of athleticism, and I think he'll hit. And if he doesn't stay short, I think he's a center fielder. You know, they, they came back after that and got Todd Cunningham, who won last year's Kid Cod League batting title. Uh, you know, can really hit. You know, they're going to. I guess they're moving him from the outfield to third base because they announced him as a third base. They're going to try him in the infield. Maybe better in the infield, but I think if you're going to do that, I bet he's more of a second baseman. I don't know if he's got the third base power or really that arm strength. Agree. Now they come back after that. They get Andrelton Simmons, who we rated as the best defensive shortstop in the draft, and he's also one of the better two-way guys. They're going to use him on the mound, where he's a mid-90s guy. You know, come back right after that. Joe Leonard, Dave Filak, in rounds three and four were guys we thought could go a round or two higher than that. Matt Sushak in the seventh round was a guy who could have gone the fifth. He's got a real good arm. And, you know, if, if they want to spend some money late, they took, uh, you know, Stefan Sabol and, and Zach Alford in the 17th and 18th round. If they, you know, want to try to get some, you know, heavy over slot guys there. So I, I thought for a team not having a first-round pick, it was a pretty impressive draft. I, I really liked in their draft a lot of the Phillies. I like it a lot in the first six or seven rounds. I thought they took guys where they fit or maybe, like you said, even a round later. I love Filak. I mean, Dave Filak is a great wild card there for an organization that has after had a nice drought where they couldn't develop pitching as well you, know, you come up with Chris Medlin and Tommy Hansen uh, in house and it seems like there's a little bit more on the way in terms of the way Johnny Venters right now is pitching out of their bullpen and the Braves have figured out that pitching development part again I love the idea of getting a raw northeastern kid uh, like Filak into that system and, and seeing where he develops I mean he's got big time upside for me what do you think of the Braves Anything, any, any other additional thoughts you had Connor no, I mean, I liked it. You guys nailed it, and it'll be interesting to see if they can sign Sabol or if he heads to Oregon. I mean, they you know they just lost Jesse Biddle, so yeah. getting him would be huge. Yeah, Sabol's uh, very intriguing there. Uh, Jim, a quick question from Zach Cooper. Uh, did you see anybody in the Cubs system that could develop? Uh, he's looking for some power, especially in the in the Cubs system. Um, you know, I think the Cubs draft is clearly going to be remembered for <laughs> Hayden Simpson, whether how that works out for them. But uh, the Cubs had some other interesting picks, Jim. Uh, you know, Micah Gibbs, uh, I, you know, I, I know we don't love that the tools aren't great, but I was surprised that he fell. 
I was surprised he got taken after Blake Forsyth, basically. That's, that surprised me. And I like the athleticism the Cubs got with Reggie Golden and Matt, Matt Caesar out of Villanova, the speedy outfitter. What did you think of their draft? Oh, it was okay. I mean, obviously the Simpson picks were the one that jumps out. You know, they also came back and got uh, you know the, the other late surprise out of Arkansas, a kid named Ben Wells, who was kind of under the radar for most of the spring, you know, pitching 84-87 for most of his high school career. And by the end of the spring, he was 90-94, threw a perfect game in the state championship game. Uh, slider and splitter, pretty interesting too. And uh, I had guys tell me they thought you know this guy might have been like a third round pick. It just you know you couldn't get him cross check because he popped up so late. So he, he kind of interested me. And you know, they did a pretty good job you know protecting their own backyard. They got Eric Yokish out of Northwestern. Uh, he got off to slow start this year with a bad back, but but he's better than an 11th round pick. They got a kid named Ryan Hartman out of Mount Zion High School up here in the 16th round, who you know might have been the second best high school pitcher in the state after Mike Fulton Evans. Uh, another kind of late bloomer. So they, they did some interesting things there. And, uh, you know, we probably won't know who it is right away. But, uh, yeah, they usually get a pretty interesting guy down in the 30s. You know, maybe, maybe this year they'll sign Matt Stites, who we had as a, a kind of a 6th to 10th round type guy. Uh, a smaller right-hander, uh, 88 to 92 up to 94 with a really good slider. But it seems like like Tim Wilkin and company usually pull a guy there out of the 30s, and then a year later we're talking about him like we are this year with Trey McNutt. Well, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Jim and Connor, and we're going to check the uh, Twitter feed real quick, by the way, it's, uh, uh, which is funny, uh, somebody just tweeted that we're going crazy with podcasts, and they love it, so we're glad people like the podcast, reminding you that the podcast is brought to you uh, by uh, MLB Network, which should be easier for me to remember than, than it was. <laughs> it's um, been a long week. <laughs> it has been a long week, a long month. Forget the week, it's been a long month. Uh, Jake Larson uh, via Twitter wants to know, Who's the Rays' biggest sleeper that could possibly sign? I think we've already answered that a little bit, but I did want to make sure we get to the Twitter question. But, I mean, like, it sounds like Ian Kennedy. Ian Kendall. I mean, Ian Kendall. Yeah. I knew that didn't sound right when I said Ian Kennedy. <laughs> I was like, Ian Kendall was a pretty interesting one. I, I, honestly, guys, I thought the whole American League East had pretty fascinating drafts. I mean, the Orioles maybe were the least interesting draft, but they got the best player in Manny Machado. It might make it the best draft just by – just like getting Machado, was there anybody else in that, uh, any other sleepers in that uh, Rays draft that you see, uh, Connor or Jim? No, I'll throw one out. Um, I, my guess is he must be unsignable because he went in the 40th round, but they took a kid out of Howard Junior College named Blake Barnes who, uh, you know, had some, you know, I think it was tendonitis that kept him out for a little bit this year. But uh, he's 90-92 up to 95 with a true slider when he was 100% healthy. Uh, committed to Oklahoma State for next year, but I mean, there's a guy who was a you know a definite top ten pick, and had he not come down with the tendonitis, probably a top five round guy, or at least potentially go in the top five rounds if they can sign him. That's a good one. That's a good sleeper. Uh, any other any other draft surprises? Uh, you know, whether it was later or a guy who slipped, uh, Connor. I mean, I know we talked to. I know when the draft was going on, we were a little bit surprised at Chris Bryant. The, the signability didn't match up with his perception. He's a guy that fell. Jim, anybody, anybody slip for you? I know, like, in my area, DeAndre Smelter, I think I even told you, like, leading up to the draft, I just didn't hear any buzz about where he might go, rounds. I mean, people like the talent, but that was a guy, you know, in my area, like in Georgia. When he fell to the 14th round, I wasn't shocked. He might wind up being either the Twins, like, oh, we didn't sign someone early, we'll go get DeAndre Smelter, or he might be a guy who goes to Georgia Tech and becomes the linchpin of their uh, – recruiting class instead of Jake Skoll, who they thought could have been the linchpin of the recruiting class. Anyone in your area do that like Jim? Where they yeah, I mean, John Sims, uh, who, who was yeah. the winning pitcher in the 11-10 game against James Santayon earlier in the year. Uh, from the, he's from the other high school in the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, he's a guy who, 
you know, could have gone third to fifth round. I mean, he kind of, you know, one of these you know, polished guys, good stuff, projectable, 99-82. He'll show you a sharp slider in the low 80s, commands it well. Has a little bit of funk to his delivery that gives his fastball some life. You know, guys really liked him. Uh, you know, athletic, 6'3", 190-pounder. I mean, I think we're probably talking about a first-round pick in 2013, if, if all goes as expected. But the problem is, you know, he's committed to Rice. He had, a, I think, a $2 million price tag. And, you know, and people, you know, I think he's a, a top, top student. I don't think he's the valedictorian of his class, but I think he's up there. And, you know, just one of these guys that, you know, that people thought no chance that you're going to sign him away from Rice. So you know, he dropped all the way to the 39th round. And, you know, I don't think it was a big surprise, but I, I will be stunned if he does wind up signing. Yeah, and I, I just thought of a guy, too, from my area. The guy that su- surprised me the most was Brian Harper, uh, Bryce's brother, you know, for, for two reasons. One, I thought he was going to go a lot higher than the 27th round. And two, I probably would have bet my pinky finger that the Nationals were going to sign him and keep him with Bryce. And he ended up going 27th round to the, uh, to the Cubs. Um, you know, but he's a, he's a six foot five lefty with some good stuff. And so that was really surprising how far he fell. Yeah, that is a surprise. He might be headed to South Carolina after he all. He might be. I think he might have, you know... Um, been been thrown out too high of a number or something like that, but splitting up the Harper brothers. I saw so much for the rumor of uh, drafting them both and giving Brian an extra money yeah. to uh, kick it all in there. So, well, great podcast, guys. Do you have any final thoughts, Jim? Or are we uh, uh, any other thoughts on the draft you wanted to share for the podcast? Well, it seems like the uh, well, we have some controversy up here in Chicago with with Osney Gian dropping to the twenty second round. Yeah. Ozzie Gian is apparently furious about this and. Are you then serious? You, you could wind up seeing a, a shakeup in Chicago because apparently he and Ken Williams uh, had words about it yesterday, and it could be a you know one or the other out the door uh, in the near future. There, there's a lot of dysfunction in the Chicago front office, and apparently Ozzyian just outraged that uh, his son you know lasted 22 rounds. That is wow. frankly hilarious. I mean, Kenny, that is probably 16. What is that? 16 rounds longer than Kenny Williams Jr. lasted. That is surprising. Wow. Uh, I guess obviously they didn't, they didn't pay him the same as Jordan Danks, but still, that is, that's really stunning. Well, that's I did not know that that was I, – I saw some Twitter chatter about the Guillen-Kenny uh, Williams feud, but I thought that was just, you know, Twitter chatter. Yeah, this is the latest log on the fire of that feud. So. Well, that uh, might be the one that breaks, uh, that breaks it up, but that might be another thing that the, the 2010 draft is remembered for, but I think uh, everyone thinks it will be remembered for Bryce Harper, and maybe it will. I'll remember it for – uh, that happening at the same time as Steven Strasburg's debut and just the confluence of so much stuff happening that our office almost exploded. It was <laughs> it was ridiculous how much stuff was going on here. But we hope uh, four podcasts this week. I'm, I, my voice is almost gone. I've had to entertain myself with Alan Matthews' imitations at the start of podcasts. So <laughs> but we hope you guys all enjoyed it. And I definitely tried to let other people talk too, which was a key. <laughs> Anything else from you, Connor, before we wrap? Yeah, I just just want to tell people stay tuned to BaseballAmerica.com because. Uh, starting next week, we're going to start kicking off our 2011 coverage. I'm, right. I'm heading down to Tampa for PG National, and then the week after that is Tournament of Stars here at the USA Baseball Complex. So and, and the 20, next year is already starting. And the 2011 draft, what's off the hook? Job, I've seen a couple people tweet today, like, oh, I'm already going to jump 
you know, our 2011 list is up, you know, various sources, and Connor had a 2011 list up a couple months ago. Yeah, exactly. We did a 2011 list a, a long time ago, and the 2011 draft looks like it's going to be outstanding. The college side contributions in 2011 will be much greater than they were in 2010. Just with, just thinking off the top of my head, Matt Perk, Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, uh, Taylor Youngman. I mean, right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's four guys who are better than any college guys who are in this year's draft. That's very fair to say. So it's a great job. Uh, really looking forward to next year's draft coverage. But if you'll forgive me, I'm looking forward more to sleep. So <laughs> for Jim Callis and for Connor Glassy, I'm John Emanuel. I want to remind you, that were brought to you by MLB, MLB Network. And remember that you can try a special offer from Baseball America, our MLB Network offer, four issues for four bucks. Visit baseballamerica.com backslash MLB Network for that special four for four offer. And until the next podcast, which will probably be me and Aaron Fit next week, wrapping up Super Regionals and getting ready for Omaha the last year in Rosenblatt Stadium, uh, that's going to be a heck of a show. For everybody here at Baseball America, so long until next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.